And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Be the best and you gotta pay a little price. If you want it bad enough, you gotta do a little extra things to get it. Welcome to the 11 Personnel Podcast, your favorite Rams podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Rodriguez, and with me, as always, my fabulous co-host, Rich Hammond Rich. How we doing? Doing good, Jordan. I, I have to tell you. Are I, you rich? Yeah, Are I you? Am, I, I am. I am. I have to tell you. <laughs> you, know, you have dreams sometimes, and like I, I try not to read too much into them. Like I try not to research because, frankly, I'm kind of afraid, like what I might find out. But last night, Sunday night, I had this very specific dream that I was in the Rams locker room, but we were waiting to talk to Jared Goff, oh, and like, my. yeah. Well, I mean, what do you think that means? Like, uh, that's that's a very specific, like, kind of a callback. Plus, we never even talked to Jared in the locker room, not formally. Um, um, did it maybe mean that you were, like, sleeping at a weird angle on your thumb? or yeah, Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> was, was my, my read of the, the coverage in my in my dreams was not, uh, was not as good as it could have been. No, Some I don't people know. use yeah. dreams to foretell the future. Rich simply right. looks at the past. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's a, that's so, a good summation of my life, actually. Yeah. That, yeah. I don't really look to the future. I just look to the past. But, speaking yeah, speaking <clears throat> of looking to the future, you like that segue, Rich. Ooh, very good. Yeah, I'm excited. I am so excited. I know, me too. Really stoked to intro our guest today, Deontay Lee, draft expert, football expert, all around awesome person, have been a big fan of his work for a really long time. We finally entrapped him in our The Athletic Snare. Uh, Deontay joined the team a couple of weeks ago, and uh, I'm sure you saw the announcement uh, blaring all over our channels because this was uh, quite a win for us over at The Athletic to get um, Deontay, someone of of your caliber uh, of writing and analysis. And you're heading up a lot of our draft coverage. So we were fortunate to sort of find time in your busy schedule. I feel like you've been, you know, doing the circuit. You're in high demand right now, Deontay. Yeah, it's been a whirlwind, honestly. You know, I was talking to uh, Nate Tice, who was also part of the team that we announced, mm-hmm. and some other guys, and I was kind of joking about how I feel like a free agent signing, like fresh on, fresh on the team <laughs> at the press conference, because I've, ha- I've had so many canned responses like, oh, I'm just so glad to be a part of such a great organization, and I'm just looking to fit into the culture and try to contribute <laughs> the best way I can. Um, but it's been great. And like you said, I've tried to, hit my, tried to hit the ground running, tried to take on every podcast in the world, every radio hit in the world. I'm sure when may comes around i will be all taked out i I doubt i'll have anything else to say for the rest of the spring but i'm enjoying it while it lasts yeah and you know what it actually really was like a high high caliber high profile free agent acquisition in a way because i think when i heard through the grapevine that you were coming aboard i even dm'd you the eyeball emoji 
Right. <laughs> so yep, it was totally, that. it was totally on par with everything. Um, you guys, Deontay, today, this, we're recording this on a Monday after, early afternoon. And of course, we're going to talk some draft. We're going to talk some RAM scheme fits. We're going to talk some philosophy. Um, as you know, we are wont to do. But Deontay has an A1 out today, which is again, a huge, huge thing. Um, and I'm very, very impressed that you, that you have this, you, you know, two weeks in, you're again, like, putting out so much work. And of course it's draft season right now. And, and um, we're also big fans of, of Nate Tice on the show here as well. You have an A1 today that's your NFL mock draft, um, your first round. And it is, I think one of the better ones that I've seen because of the analysis that you bring into it um, and sort of the way that you explain the why of it. So I'm kind of wondering if you could take us through that first and foremost, because this will obviously reflect some of the major trends that you start to see in the ripple effect uh, later in later rounds, which is when the Rams uh, wake up and and uh, have their coffee for the first time and start to go about their business. <laughs> right. So, um, you know, I'm I'm ta- actually today I'm tasked with working the live blog where we kind of track all the draft news and stuff. So I'm probably going to reiterate myself on this. But, um, you know, I try to take in a piece of of every bit of what we know to be important parts of the draft coverage. So, you know, there are certain people who put out mock drafts who are more of the insider types. Right. And they can tell you what the NFL thinks of these players, what the NFL thinks of what picks are going to be made. Uh, and then there's kind of like the analyst side of it, which is more of, you know, how I feel about each of these players individually, how they fit into schemes, et cetera, et cetera. So I tried to, you know, make some kind of mixture of the two. So mm-hmm. while some of the, I know some of the picks maybe, you know, were a little unpredictable or where I have guys placed or slotted, that's, I think that's kind of reflective of how I feel about each of the players. But in terms of the positions and where I was trying to send guys, a lot of that is informed by, you know, the work of guys like Dane Brugler, you know, who we have on the team, you know, you think of Daniel Jeremiah, Bucky Brooks, the guys who work for the NFL.com who are pretty well plugged in, um, you know, with, with people in the league, you know, Todd McShay, Mel Kuyper, et cetera, et cetera. So trying to like combine all those things together and use everyone as like a different point of reference. And then the final input is how I actually feel about these players. So that's kind of how we landed on what happened in the first round of my mock draft. You know, tried to simulate some trades as well, which I think always makes for great conversation, you know. So I've, I've been getting hit up all day about, well, what was the trade exactly? And I'm like, well, you know, (laughs) I I don't know if I wanted to detail the entire thing in the piece about, you know, what pick 228 is being sent where for which pick, you know, moving to move up or whatever the case may be. But it was a fun exercise. And I I tried my best to address what a lot of these teams need in the first round. Yeah. And you know what? As as people, teams are doing the same thing right now. They're gathering intel. They're um, assessing like a wide variety of analysis and opinions as they set their boards. This is really the big week. It's not really next week as as um, we know it's it's actually this week and last week where they're starting to really sort of finalize and avoid that that overthinking that that sometimes I think bites teams in the ass this time of year and trying to make sure that they're gathering such a wide variety of Intel I did notice you know I'm happy rich brought up his dream uh, which now I think we we know why you dreamed this dream rich because you did have uh, an interesting and a little bit of surprise at pick 32. And uh, and I think that's where, Rich, maybe you were foreshadowing a little bit. You just knew this interview was coming and, and you had a Jared Goff dream because <laughs> because Deontay right. is projecting uh, Matt. Cor- is it Corral? Matt Corral. Yes. Um, and he's projecting him to, to Detroit at pick number 32. 
There you go. Wow. Planning for that post Jared Goff uh, future and, and Matt Corral, uh, or, or Oaks Christian guy, uh, played yep. it in Westlake Village out here. So yet another tie in practicing in the, in the Rams uh, backyard. So yeah. What, what do you think about that, uh, Deontay? I mean, are they, is that, is that an indication since a lot of Rams fans are still interested in Jared Goff? I mean, do you see that as a little bit of an indication that they're already planning for, for life without Jared Goff? I wouldn't say, at least not aggressively is what I would mm-hmm. say, because I do think that Jared Goff is a more than capable, quote unquote, bridge quarterback. As a matter of fact, I think that even using that as a classification would be kind of underselling what he can do for a team. We've obviously seen, you know, what his career was at its best in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that is kind of building the right situation around him. But he's capable enough and he's a veteran as a QB, so he can handle, you know, what they're going through in Detroit. I think that What really kind of inspired me taking Corral is some of what we see with the 32nd pick, right? Or really kind of like picks 28 through 32, where you get maybe, you know, contending teams who have either traded away or they're trying to get more draft capital. Maybe they trade back or whatever the case may be. Um, Or you're trying to grab a guy who is either extreme surplus value or at a high position of need where it makes sense to get that fifth year option on a guy. And quarterback is obviously the position that you'd probably want to get a fifth year option on the player if they hit so for Detroit you know I think they've got two picks in that you know 30 to 40 range so they could be a trade-up candidate as well if they fall up if they fall in love with the player you know that they think might not be available by the time they get to the end of the first round or the beginning of the second so I figured you know if I couldn't find a, a an easy trade partner with them so it made sense to think about the positions that would behoove you most or you would get the most return on investment for to get a fifth year option on him and quarterback is obviously that position and I figured that Matt Corral, a guy who has some interesting tools, but is maybe not a completely polished and completely prepared prospect, would probably be behooved to sit behind a quarterback like a Jared Goff who could really walk him through. Like, this is how you need to process reading defenses. These these are some of the pitfalls I've gone through, you know, early on in my career and what I've learned and how I've become more efficient as a passer and what works for me, um, you know, and dealing with pressure, et cetera, et cetera. Some of the same types of concerns, I think, that are coming out for Matt Corral as he's also leaving that wide open spread offense the way that Goff did at Cal. So, you know, I, I figured that that might be a decent enough marriage and with what else was available, it just made the most sense to pick a quarterback to put that potential five-year contract on. Yeah, and it's so interesting. You know, Brad Holmes was one of the lead guys in um, evaluating Jared, and, and he was obviously in a senior personnel role by that point. And so he he was someone who did take a great interest in the overall scouting process of Jared. And then also, I would say that he would, I don't think it's a stretch to say that he would also ascribe to uh, some, some similarities in how we see the Rams um, quantify the valuation of those first round picks. I think you're absolutely spot on, Deontay, about the the overall value of sort of being in the quarterback business if you do have a pick that sort of falls off the cliff in terms of overall value and, and especially when you factor in some of those options and some of that guaranteed money um, that you then expect your first round pick to sort of outperform or overperform uh, relative to its value of the contract. So I think you know, a long time ago, a GM told me if you're in the quarterback business, it's really hard to go wrong because even if the guy doesn't work out, he becomes maybe trade capital or um, he becomes somebody who you continue to keep in your room for for various reasons. And I don't think it's reflective of Jared Goff. I think that um, I agree. I totally agree with you. I think Jared Goff, um, I was impressed with the way he sort of 
hung in there and stuck it out with some difficult circumstances last year. And I think that's one thing Rams fans we do know is the the kid is tough, the guy's tough, and he's not going to complain. And I think that that's something that when you can um, have at least some stability at that position as you continue to build the rest of your roster, what we're seeing with a lot of these really high-profile moves, the picks for players, trades, they're not making these – teams are not making these moves with an imbalanced ecosystem. I mean – I think that you can s- single out a couple of teams that have tried and it's been a catastrophe um, over the past two years, but teams who have stabilized the ecosystem around that move um, and then made the big move for the veteran quarterback, um, they they are the ones who have been successful in the past couple of years or would maybe project a little bit more success. And I think that that's sort of a, I don't want to say a blueprint, but it is sort of a pattern. I think you can, you're not making assumptions to say that that Brad Holmes, who is so connected to the Rams front office and, and has been for so long, um, would maybe ascribe to, to similar thought processes. But um, interesting, you know, I, I'm fascinated by how these the board falls in the first and second rounds. And obviously these, this is something the Rams will be watching as well, but they will be uh, maybe, you know, one eye open, one eye closed here through the first, <laughs> through the first two rounds. And I know you've been studying this defense a lot. I, I love, I mean, your you know, your former podcast is even called too high. And I, I really, really loved, uh, have loved your work in um, just assessing and analyzing the, d- the scheme development, the philosophical development of this team, uh, not just on the defensive side, obviously, but also on the offensive side. And so as you kind of get toward the middle rounds, um, we know the Rams place high value on certain positions and we know that they, you know, require uh, young players to play very early and, and I'll say cheaply on, on their rookie deals um, and contribute at a high volume early on. And so I kind of wonder, as you look at the trends in this particular draft class, are there positions that stick out to you? Um, those Positions in particular, maybe corner, edge rusher, uh, inside linebacker, players, safety, players who the Rams have genuinely and generally depended on. Um, Where are some of the trends that you're seeing there? Um, Maybe not just even how deep the positions are, but maybe schematically, um, what traits you're seeing sort of manifest more so than others? So the inside linebacker thing, I think, is kind of where I'll start because I think the Rams are just such an interesting test case for this, right? And by that, I mean, and and this is something that I'm sure that, you know, we'll have plenty of conversations about and it's been parts of my analysis of this defense. But sometimes it feels like the Rams are asking, how little do can we invest in the inside linebacker Mm -hmm. position (laughs) and still maintain elite defensive performance? Um, So they've been a really interesting kind of test case in that regard. Um, So that's kind of where I'll start with this, you know, and for a team that outside of the top 100 and a reigning Super Bowl champion that doesn't have a ton of immediate emergency level needs it allows I think it allows them to kind of think relatively freely about what pick 104 might be and and what the sixth round might look like um, you know in in some of the places where they might have you know multiple opportunities to address you know adding surplus value to this team and to this defense specifically and you know getting a guy like Bobby Wagner obviously makes it an interesting discussion right because that is while not a complete departure from them in terms of wanting to get experienced veterans who are proven guys that can step in in leadership roles especially on the defensive end and add value in that way 
this, I think, I would argue is probably the best linebacker that they've had, even for a guy who's maybe kind of lost half a step um, since, I think, uh, since Sean McVay has been here. So that's kind of interesting in that regard. So, uh, you know, with that kind of addressed, I would say outside of that, trends and scheme-wise, I will be looking at safeties. You know, in that 100 to 110 area, that's, you know, and for them, you know, this kind of opens up a discussion about how important are traits, how important is what you are mentally, um, how important is is versatility within the scheme. And one of the things between Brandon Staley and now Raheem Morris is these safeties are asked to kind of erase all the holes in this defense when they present themselves. Right. Especially when you start talking about all the ways that they use five defensive linemen, which makes it hard to balance out the rest of the defense on the second on the second and third level so now you're asking safeties to kind of play these in-between roles you know in terms of fitting the run and being able to cover guys vertically so you know you start thinking about guys like a Kirby Joseph or a Jaquan Brisker or some of the guys who are maybe day two players and maybe you're able to get one of those guys if they quote-unquote slide or you know are maybe available after pick 100 in a way that you might not expect um, and they kind of check all those athletic boxes to be able to drop into the box or you know handle tight ends step out and and help in space against slots etc etc so that's kind of what I'm looking at for them and then with corners obviously losing Darius Williams stings and I think that the versatility that you have between he and Jalen Ramsey allowed them to do a bunch in terms of addressing their needs and kind of being flexible throughout the year so I am kind of the, the issue I think I have with some of the guys that aren't day one corners is that they all seem to kind of fill a, a specific time of archetype, which is either they're extremely raw and not very technically proficient, which I think makes them will make them interesting fits and in that I don't know how much they could contribute right now for a team like the Rams that does as much as they do defensively. Or they're guys that are kind of like short arm, you know, shorter guys that can't be those outside press corners. And I think that what we realized as the season went on is that the best version of this defense still has Jalen Ramsey outside, right? Where he can go lock on, lock on the number one wide receivers and allow them to do different things with their coverage. And if you bring another corner in and you're asking him to take a high volume of snaps, you would like for that player to be able to stand up inside and help you stop the run when you're playing the 49ers or playing the Seahawks, et cetera, et cetera. So you don't have to ask Jalen Ramsey to do so much, you know, in terms of what they're doing defensively. So I do think it, it just, it, it opens up a lot of flexibility but particular to the Rams and where their needs are at I'm really interested to see at 104 if they like a corner more or a safety and what that says about what the ver- what this version of the defense will be in 2022-23 yeah I'm, I'm very interested in that also Deontay especially those um, cornerbacks because I, I do think that's a position and, and they've over the course of a period of time here they, they've addressed that position guys have come in and out and and you know they've brought in Robert Rochelle David Long I mean they, they've addressed this uh, position in the mid rounds the last few years and I think they're probably going to have to do it again at some point so fascinating there to, to hear you kind of dissect uh, what what kind of the, the at least the type of players that that might be available there if I could ask you about one other defensive position I, I will admit that I'm a little fixated on this position personally uh, and and that's kind of that edge rusher uh, position and uh, you know obviously the Rams. That's been a real important position for the Rams, but they've also had a lot of movement there over the years, bringing in you know more veteran guys. You know Dante Fowler filled that role very well, uh, bringing in Von Miller, of course, during this past season, fantastic throughout the playoffs. Now they lose Von Miller. Now they lose Obo Okoronkwo, who uh, didn't play a huge role, but certainly was an important uh, depth guy there. And they really haven't added anybody. Now there's still time. But it, it, how do you look at that uh, uh, position, it, especially when we get to the mid rounds? Is that a 
is that a third round look? Is that a fifth round look? The Rams have been all over the place with that position. They've taken some chances on guys. They've not drafted at all. Uh, what's what's your kind of look at that position and, and what that might look like on the second or third day? Um, as somebody who's not an insider, I still would feel confident in saying that there's no way I can imagine the Rams leaving this draft without at least picking an edge rusher because mm-hmm. it just is a place where they need to add depth, if nothing else, even if they don't get a starter quality player. And to your point about some of the guys who have shuffled in, that's been very fascinating in my analysis of this defense because I think that the way that this defense presents itself in terms of its identity has changed based on who they've had opposite of Leonard Floyd, you know, and him basically being the one mainstay, you know, with his versatility and his ability to still get after quarterbacks, you know, in spite of all the other things that I think they ask him to do, especially on early downs. So, you know, this season, I would expect for them, or this offseason, I would expect for them to try to address edge rusher as early as possible. So again, that kind of brings us back to 104 being the pick that can go in a thousand different directions and end up pulling a bunch of levers for what will be, you know, the fourth and fifth round, you know, then obviously there are multiple picks between the sixth and seventh. So I think that, you know, while they are kind of in a best player available type of mode, given what, what, what they already have on roster, um, I would certainly say if there's an edge that's available to them that they think can come in right now and provide, you know, I, I would definitely expect that to be something that they're highly interested in. I know Dane Brugler um, had mocked Christopher Allen from Alabama, who's not going to blow anybody away in terms of his production, um, but checks all the boxes athletically, right? Would be another guy that you can maybe do multiple things with. Maybe that frees up Leonard Floyd to be more of a pure um, edge rush type. So I do think that there's kind of some interest, some interesting conversations to have about what this defense would be under that type of context. But the edge spot is certainly something that I do think they need to address. So I think it's going to come down to edge and corner for pick 104 for the Rams, in my opinion. Yeah, I think that's a a good way to look at it because um, it is interesting the way that not retaining Von Miller after all, like they had, that was their plan A plus plus. Um, and then they pivot, they pivot to their plan A um, when he chooses Buffalo sort of at the 11th hour. And I think that that, had such a ripple effect on so many different layers to this defense. Obviously, you know, I don't know that we can say that they that they wouldn't get Bobby Wagner if they did have Von Miller. I do think that you're not even entertaining the idea of um, even the sort of uh, team-friendly contract that they did end up executing with Bobby. You're not even really able to do something that player friendly as team friendly as it is if that makes sense and 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 so i think that that obviously changes so many different things but then also i i remain uh i rich, rich and i always always joke about this um i remain someone who takes a, a educated stance on um my belief that they're going to continue to be really aggressive in in exploring ways to add it another edge rusher to this team and whether that, you know, they've done this in the past, obviously last year is a, is a great example of this. Um, whether, you know, that's adding a, a veteran free agent late in the spring or summer, or whether that's even going out and executing a trade once they figure out who Justin Hollins can really be um, opposite Leonard Floyd. And he's a very versatile player. So I think they're really excited about the possibilities there. But again, having that sort of dominating presence um, on the opposite shoulder of, of Aaron. And almost, I wonder too, a player who can who can switch a little bit, maybe flip inside because we did see Aaron Donald rush a little bit more on the outside, um, especially late in the season last year. But I think 
the interesting tells to me about where Raheem Morris wants to continue to adjust this defense. I think you're so spot on with this um, because, again, this is the the ethos of this defense is that coverage dictates front. And so you're going to start to see the how he wants to continue to push this forward specifically by the players he picks at safety and and the players you know that he'll have intel with um, or intel with the scouting department on and the players less need picks at safety um, and at corner specifically and I'm kind of wondering if you can expand on that a little bit Deontay because um, I, it's I think it's sometimes difficult to visualize. Um, the present and the future tense of us of a position as it fits or as it pertains to schematic evolution uh, of what this defense is and what it can be. And so dependent on traits of certain guys that you bring in um, specifically at those two positions, I guess, how could you see this defense moving forward? Um, let's say they pick a safety at 104 and that guy's expected to, cr- to contribute very early. How does that change things versus certain types of corners that are available in this draft? I would say, well, the number one thing that came to mind as you were kind of laying this out is that, and this is something I said at the time that they made the move for Raheem Morris, which is that mm-hmm. this is not necessarily a coach that walks in with like some hard and fast. He's not going to, he's not going to slam the table with some 450 page manifesto that this is the only way that he can ever run a defense, right? This is somebody who's, pl- who's been a part of multiple different kinds of staffs with different kinds of philosophies, whether it's, you know, stepping in for Dan Quinn when he was in Atlanta. And basically having to take over that type of Legion of Boom style of defense to coming here as a defensive coordinator in Los Angeles and kind of borrowing a lot of what was started with Brandon Staley, you know, and trying to evolve it to match the personnel that was there. So it just leaves up. It leaves me to wonder so much about where his priorities are at in terms of coverage players. Right. Which is exactly where I'm kind of in line with you. And I do think it's going to be a major signal with whatever DBs they bring in between now and the beginning of training camp that kind of tells you about what the, where this defense will be at. Because I do think one of the things that I'm kind of really fascinated by is, you know, if they're not able to address getting a plus level player, whether it's at corner or safety, well, then does that change some of the things they do in, you know, having these five down linemen, right? Because one of the reasons why you can do that with two edge rushers, your two interior linemen and your nose guard is because you trust your safeties, your nickel, et cetera, et cetera, to be able to handle the fact that there's going to be more space available, quote unquote, in coverage, right? Because you don't have as many guys at that intermediate layer, that intermediate level of the defense, Um, more guys are up at the line of scrimmage versus, you know, if they're not able to address those positions the way that they want to, maybe they go more four down stuff, you know, maybe they do more in terms of moving Aaron Donald around. Maybe we do see him rush outside more because that just makes more sense. You know, if you don't have the same level of coverage players, you know, at that second and third level, well, then you probably need to flood it with more bodies, right? Maybe there's just less that you have up front. So, that's where I think, you know, the kind of pendulum is swinging, you know, so I do think that this is a really interesting kind of dividing line in terms of at least for 2022, what this defense is going to look like. So I think if they get a guy who they believe, hey, this is going to be surplus value, maybe it's a safety, you know, and it's somebody that they can say, hey, we can be flexible and move him from playing, you know, deep, you know, as a quarter safety. So he's taking anything vertically, anything deep down the field, but could also help us in the box in the run game. And maybe we can flex him to be kind of like a big nickel type 
type of guy, then maybe they can still run a version of, of the defense that's very similar and uh, reminiscent of what it's been the last two to three seasons, right? If they don't get that type of player, then maybe, like I said, they go more to your typical four down. They do still play a little bit of too high safety stuff, but they fit the run a little bit differently, which is something that you'd have to do if you're trying to play with light boxes with two high safeties and only four down linemen. You've got to do a little bit more to cancel out some of those gaps, um, you know, as the game continues to spread out the way that it has. So that's kind of what the conversation is when you when you talk about like, what does it mean to be or to have those conversations of um, how you mix the body types you have as players and the philosophy of, hey, coverage dictates the front or we're only doing certain things defensively because we feel like we have the bodies that can handle X, Y and Z in coverage. And that's something that they've been great at, you know, whether it's been this season winning the Super Bowl, uh, the prior season with Brandon Staley, you know, and, and basically every defensive coordinator who's come here under Sean McVay's tenure has kind of carried in a philosophy of, hey, we do what we do up front because of what we trust our players to do on the back end in coverage. So that's kind of the dividing line, I think, that they're dealing with, especially as a team that's not walking in with premium draft capital in terms of top 100 picks. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. I do want to point out too, Rich, before I know you, we're going to get to the offense here in a minute, but I do want to point out is the the funny sort of um, theme that emerges year over year is, you know, the, the Rams do so many different complex things with this defense and they push it in different areas that maybe isn't 
um, proven or unproven by different teams. Um, there's not like a huge body of, of checks to sort of balance what they want to do against because they're pushing in different ways and they're do- they do the same thing with their team build. And so it comes back to me to capitalizing and really flooding your leverages that you think you do have, which is trade identification and coaching. And so, you know, talking to Les Snead at, at league meetings this last month, he was telling me that when you start to look at players in the fifth, sixth, uh, fourth, fifth, sixth round, um, it becomes so important that they have the right personality tests and um, sort of football acumen and emotional uh, acumen and emotional evolution uh, tools to to measure what those things will be are what they are in the present and what the player will be and how they develop and evolve and they use their sports psychologist um, Carrie Hastings and some of this and they use uh, seven seven different tools to try to measure um, who someone is and also who they think he will be and then they match it with coaching and and that's another area Rich and I have talked a lot about where the Rams do have a leverage point there historically and and it's another reason why so many are are pulled from uh, Sean's coaching staff each year and why he's scrambling, especially this year, to fill to fill holes essentially um, in in a staff that's getting poached from so so much. But it has been a leverage point in the past, and so I think that's where this part of their team build and this part of the process becomes so complicated. Um, and and it's to me, it's less about um, you know maybe picking the player who everybody deems as best available in that moment, especially when you get to those later picks. But instead, answering small questions with simple answers where you know you do have leverage points and that adds into your sort of percentage points of plus that end up making a kind of a huge difference for them down the stretch. So, you know, kind of what you're laying out here and what I was thinking about, and you've done a lot of reporting on this, Jordan, is just the the premium that they place on where players are at mentally. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that's going to be a big piece of, again, not having that premium draft capital where maybe a player's talent is overwhelming enough to where, you know, even if they're not perfectly set up for you personality-wise, they believe they'd have the culture to be able to incubate players and help them develop mentally. But at this point now, and I do think it's a major piece of it, and it ties into the way that they value certain personnel, you know, in, in, in player types, is what they are mentally, you know. So whether it's been and the veterans that they've brought in, I know, I know I tweeted about it when Bobby Wagner was signed, right, is that it's kind of like almost leaning super into their philosophy and their idea of, hey, we want veterans that can come in here and perform, be great leaders, you know, guys who can be coaches on the field, at practice, et cetera, et cetera, right? And I do think that they're going to want, you know, rookie players who can step in and mentally handle that type of environment because it's probably not built for everybody. And at the positions that they're looking to address, they are looking for early contributors and you do have to be prepared to kind of deal with the fact that you're going to be playing alongside a couple of future Hall of Famers, you know, and that you're trying to defend a Super Bowl and that your role in the defense, while it's not going to be one of a star, it's going to be one that is going to be key to being able to maintain the high levels of production that that uh, are going to be expected here. Um, so I do think that, you know, whether it's corner, whether it's safety, I would not be surprised as this thing continues to unravel itself and we walk ourselves to- closer towards the start of the draft that you 
hear things about, hey, this player comes in to visit or, you know, the Rams are keying in on players and the things that they're walking away from is, oh, this is a player that has a high football IQ or this is a person who's of high character that you don't have to worry about. Somebody who is, you know, a multi-year starter um, and maybe not a late bloomer. So that way they know they can trust in their experiences and their responsibility, you know, on the team, et cetera, et cetera. So that's kind of the way that I'm looking at it. Um, you know, and there there will be, I'm sure, a few players that are available, especially in the defensive backfield that are highly experienced, that are intelligent players, that are guys that you can trust and put a lot of time and not have to put a lot of time into to get them ready for the field. And I do think that they'll probably lean more in that uh, direction than just going to get the rawest athlete who has the best athletic scores, right? Or maybe the best height, weight, speed metrics, Mm -hmm. whatever the case may be. You know, while those are always nice to have, you always want to have a defense full of monsters. I do think that for what this defense is trying to do um, or trying to continue to do is going to require guys that can handle multiple different roles and be flexible in their own play. And that's exactly what I'd expect them to do in this draft. Yeah, you, you've certainly seen that over the last couple of years, and I don't think it's a coincidence with with some of the Ram, guys that the Rams have, have brought in. So, uh, so a very astute breakdown there of, of what the Rams have, have been trying to do over the last few years, and even into the coaching too. I mean, I remember when they pivoted from you know from Wade Phillips and kind of went, wow, you know, what are they what are they doing here? Like, I, <laughs> but you could see it pretty quickly uh, what they were trying to do with the coaching and and the things that Brandon Staley brought in, um, certainly schematically, but, but a lot of what you're saying with that flexibility and identifying talent and putting people in the right positions and not being afraid to move people around if if necessary. Uh, In hindsight, it's very clear uh, to see what they were doing with that. And certainly it's continued under Raheem Morris, and I'm sure will continue to evolve uh, as we go forward too. Uh, But, you know, Deontay, we've spent a lot of time talking about this 104 pick. We've spent a lot of time talking about defense. I have to tell you, there's probably a large segment of Rams fans who will be surprised if the Rams don't draft a receiver or a pass-catching tight end with that number for 104 pick because that seems to be the way that they go. I'm, I'm that's half the Sean, joking. That's the Sean McVay luxury pick. Yes. <laughs> the, the first 100%. one in the draft. The yes. first one in the draft every single time. <laughs> yeah. So I, I will say I don't expect that to happen. And boy, if it does happen again, uh, it, our, both all of our Twitters are probably going to explode. But one, th- one position that um, I do think you could probably look at realistically, probably not with the 104 pick, but, but maybe you might disagree. Um, is running back and, and Jordan and I have spent a lot of time talking about you know what they can do there uh, the, obviously quite a journey with Cam Akers last year being able to come back from his torn Achilles uh, Daryl Henderson has, has been a contributor but both of those guys have had some knickknack injuries here and there I think it's fair to say the Rams aren't going to be looking for a lead back in in this scenario um, but but what uh, what's that class look like or what do you think their options are or what kind of we just spent a lot of time talking about fit uh, on the defensive side, but what about at that running pack position? Is there any particular fits there? Anybody you think they might be uh, looking at style wise? Um, you know, some of the seven round, you know, full on mocks and, and team mocks that I've seen, I, the running backs that the names I've seen is guys like Damian Pierce and Brian Robinson. And with a guy like Brian Robinson, the reason why that would pique my interest is a he would fit right into a role where it's more about depth, right, than featuring any one player. Right. That's a guy who's got a lot of experience from playing in Alabama, even though he kind of had to wait his turn to lead the way. I thought that he did pretty well in pass protection, which is obviously going to be a big piece of the running back role. Um, you know, with the Rams um, and then the ability to catch the ball out of the backfield and, and be dependable. Right. You know, despite the fact for as much of a physical marvel as it was to see Cam Akers come back, 
the idea, you know, what what we are looking at with this Rams running back room are guys who have dealt with a lot of nicks and bruises, if not major injuries, right? So you're going to want a player that, hey, in the event that one of these guys is, might just be dealing with soreness to the degree where they can't perform at the degree that you would like for them to play. You can bring in a guy like a Robinson or a Pierce and they can still keep you at a certain baseline of production. So those are probably the two names that I'm most interested in um, as far as running backs go. I know Robinson would wouldn't be a guy at 104. He's probably closer to around five, round six guy. Damian Pierce might be the guy that will be closer to like a 104-ish type of pick. So I wouldn't protest it, or I may not fall all the way out, but I will certainly be shocked given what else they can address in the draft if that were the way that they went. Uh, but to Jordan's point and to your point, you know, I, I do think that, you know, one of the things that we've seen year over year is that first pick kind of does belong to Sean, or it's usually made with, with McVay's um, preference offensively in mind. And, you know, I, that, that would be the one reason why I wouldn't be shocked but I definitely think there are other ways they can spend that 104 pick. And if you walk away with the Brian Robinson in the fifth or sixth round, you have plenty of reason to be happy with the depth that you just added to the running back room. I think it's, I think, and this is just me uh, writing some fan fiction here, but I think that, you know, Les Need can be like, you know what, man, why don't you see that we don't have a first or a second rounder. You love the second rounder, Sean, but we found Ernest Jones at 104 last year. We love Ernest Jones, so let me have this one. I'll give you the next two. How about that? <laughs> so maybe maybe that's the way it ultimately shakes out this time around. But but Deontay, I, I'm going to ask you about traits again. Um, in terms of uh, tight end, running back, or receiver fits, I don't expect the Rams to load up a ton at, uh, at, at receiver specifically considering some of the depth they have on their roster. And then also they have basically a, a little bit of a red shirt class from last year because so much of their draft class, um, got hurt. And, and someone who I'm really excited to see, um, develop a little bit more is Jacob Harris, who they're going to move into a little bit more of a hybrid detached from the core role, um, in that receivers room as opposed to a tight end. But I, I'm wondering, as you've seen this offense expand in the way it has spread out in the way that it has um, shed a couple more of the maybe Sean McVay staples, including some of the the play action concepts and then also um, some of those sweeps and, and motions. Although I always like to argue that it was a sweep that saved their asses on fourth and one in the Super Bowl. But uh, <laughs> I digress. Um, but it, it, as you especially see them going to empty so much more, and as you mentioned with the running backs, some of that pass pro stuff, some of the chipping help that, that's needed and, and as this offense changes, what traits become really important? Um, not just in the prototypical McVay system, running back and receiver, um, tight end, but as you continue to see this evolve and, and move forward, are, does anything stick out to you in terms of what those guys are going to have to be able to do um, from a very young sort of age within their contract? Um, well, I think that a lot of it is kind of adding that versatility, whether it's, you know, the ability to, to chip if you're a tight end or back. And if you're a wide receiver, the ability to line up in other in, in multiple positions, you know, even if you're not at, you know, number one or number two in Matt Stafford's progression, you have to be able to understand the playbook. So that way you do have the versatility for when they are times where you've got to get you've got to get into tighter splits, you know, and, and do some of the more intricate things or be used in motion and, and be 
moved around, et cetera, et cetera. Like the one thing I do think that is almost a benefit, you know, of mm-hmm. everything that happened last year is that you are bringing a Robert Woods back into a room where you've already got a Cooper Cup, who is your high volume guy. You bring in, you know, you bring in, you make an acquisition for a guy like an Allen Robinson, right, who can step in and be um, be a major help for, you know, taking taking more off of Robert Woods's plate. So now you've already got your top three guys, right, basically in your lineup. So now your tight ends, your fifth receiver, your fourth receiver, your running backs, that is those spots where, hey, if we want to put all these guys in a bunch formation on one end, they can go do all the quote-unquote big-time real receiver stuff, and the dirty work can be done by some of the others, um, whether it's check downs or being able to use some of that window dressing like I was talking about. So that's where you kind of talk about traits and hey, we want to get guys that are in that 6'2", 6'3", you know, 215, 220-pound type of mold. So that's why you're talking about guys that were more more typically kind of your prototypical tight ends being used and being flexed out a little bit more, right? Because you want to have that versatility on the field. And I do think if they go out and get a wide receiver, a tight end body, it will probably be somebody who fits in that type of physical mold. So that way they can do more than one thing and allow their wide receivers as they get more spread out to play more as your kind of typical wide receiver, slot receiver, outside receiver types of roles. Well, it's always interesting with the Rams. Uh, I have to think, I don't know, Deontay, to me, they're, you don't see them in the first round ever, but they're one of the more intriguing teams for all of the right. uh, always. for all of the reasons that we've mentioned today. Thank you so much uh, for, for being with us. I mean, we packed a lot into that podcast. There is no, there is no fat today. We, we got a lot of meat. Uh, I'm going to have to go back and listen to this a couple times because I, I know I missed some things. So thank you uh, very much for joining us. Want to make sure everybody can follow along with you. Uh, as Jordan mentioned today, we're recording this Monday afternoon. Uh, Deontay had his mock draft. That's our A1 heavily featured on the athletic, on the app and the website. Uh, please go and check that out. Cause as Jordan said, even though there's no Rams, in that necessarily. Uh, There's a lot of great insight into uh, how Deontay approaches the draft and the things that he looks at. So please do look at that. Uh, He's had some outstanding stories for us already. Uh, Follow along on Twitter, uh, Deontay Lee FB, D-I-A-N-T-L-E-E-F-B. He walks the walk too. You coach, Deontay. I do. I do. I coach. He coaches against... Eric Weddle. That's <laughs> yep. right. Yep, that's right. I'm so excited. I'm I'm coming to your games. I swear to God, I will be. I'll be there with my notebook. Like I'm so it was, excited. <laughs> it was so funny because I didn't see the news as it was announced. So I just saw a bunch of texts. We have a group text with all of our coaches on our staff, and they're all kind of just kind of like trying to like mention me and kind of laughing or whatever. And I have no idea what's going on. So I'm like, did I leave something at the school? They're like, oh, you got some real competition now. You know, so I, I was talking to some of my guys, like, I guess I got to have all my best defensive calls prepared for when we, when we see them. And it's funnily enough, he's going to coach at, you know, one of our main rivals. So I'm, I'm really interested and happy to compete. And then I got a really good chuckle out of that high school because they put out an Instagram post saying that Eric Weddle had decided to continue his NFL career as an April Fool's joke. And I saw it and didn't think about what day it was was so i'm saying i'm blasting that out like ha i still get to stand as the, <laughs> i guess the highest profile defensive coordinator in our league uh, but but not so and i'm really looking forward to kind of competing with him and obviously being able to add him to the brotherhood in san diego of coaches and picking his brain as much as possible it'll be a lot of fun i gotta warn you Deontay. uh last time i was talking to jalen ramsey he also mentioned that 
his goal post NFL. He's got a, obviously a long career still in front of him, but his goal post career is he he would like to go be a high school football coach specifically and coach against uh, against Eric Weddle. So you might have another guy entering oh, your <laughs> entering your conference here to worry about far into the future. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to be stressed. Yeah. Oh, this sounds like a lot of stress for me. <laughs> is what I'm hearing. This is this is when you you let them go at each other and then you just sort of operate quietly in the background and then pounce when the moment is right. Absolutely. Is now, I've got to wait. We've got to be the game after those two play. Yes. Let those teams beat up on each tired. other and then we'll get the schedule win, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's when everyone will be tired. Oh man. Deontay, thank you so much for joining us today. We're looking forward to have you having you on again in the future, um, probably post-draft because I imagine your life is insane right now. Um, but thank you so much for being on with us. You guys, we are really excited to continue the, these weekly shows uh, up to and, and after the draft. We'll have a couple more featured guests on. And as always, uh, you can subscribe to The Athletic through the 11 Personal Podcast and get my favorite thing in the entire world, which is a great discount. Don't know how they're still letting us do it. They haven't caught on yet, but they are still letting us do it. My favorite thing in the world, a great discount. Be sure to follow along with all of us. Um, Deontay Lee on Twitter, as Rich mentioned. Myself, Jordan Rodriguez on Twitter and Rich underscore Hannah on Twitter uh, with some devastating uniform news as usual. Rich, somehow I think we will make it through. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm going to have some bad dreams about the uniform. But, uh, <laughs> we'll have more information on that later, I think. Let's just put it that way. Yes, let's just put it that way. In the meantime, guys, thanks so much for following along. Don't forget to rate and review as you are subscribing and we'll catch you next time. Mm-hmm.